a great job. If the uh, praise team was off a little bit this morning, I'm going to have to accept responsibility for that. I found out apparently my mic was on and they were hearing my voice singing along with them. And that's enough to get anybody off, I assure you. So from now on, I will not be singing during the, singing, the song service. I just want you to know I've been cured. <laughs> Take your Bibles, turn with me this evening to 1 Corinthians chapter number 8. We had a few verses left in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and I decided, you know, I should have covered that in the last message. And I don't want to preach about marriage anymore, so we're doing verse eight. We're doing chapter eight. <clears throat> Dealing with the gray areas. Preparing to preach is always informative for me as a preacher. I feel as if sometimes the message is directed more at myself than anyone else. As you prepare to preach or teach, you always learn more than you can ever convey to the people that you're trying to teach. The speaker has to decide what is relevant uh, to that particular message and what is not. And I guess every speaker is different, but in this computer age, I rely on a word count to tell me when I have enough, too much, or when I need to begin trimming back. Sometimes I learn things that I really don't, that really don't have much to do with the topic at hand. For example, do you know the difference between G-R-E-Y, gray, and G-R-A-Y, gray? Much to my embarrassment, my wife did. I did not. I noticed that when I wrote out the title of the message, I used the G-R-E-Y, dealing with the gray areas. But I also noticed that most other people spelled it G-R-A-Y. Why is that, I wondered, and so I did a little research. It's the same as the difference between color with a U and color without a U, or judgment with an E and judgment without an E. One is the American spelling, the other is the British spelling. I just happen to be British. I just didn't know it. <laughs> this evening we are going to continue our study of 1 Corinthians and we are going to move on to chapter 8 of Paul's letter. Remember beginning in, in chapter 7, Paul started answering some questions that had evidently been raised by the church at Corinth. In chapter 7 he had dealt with the issues of physical intimacy within marriage. He had dealt with uh, divorce and remarriage. And now in chapter 8, Paul evidently answers another question from the Corinthians. The question appears to have been, can Christians eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols? In fact, the issue raises many questions. Can believers eat Meat purchased at the temple meat market. Uh, 
What if we serve meat purchased at the temple meat market when we are guests in someone's home? Can a Christian eat at a restaurant that is, receives its meat from the pagan temple? All of those were very crucial questions to them. But we have to admit from the outset that this is hardly a burning issue in our day. This particular problem does not apply or even interest believers very much. But the wider issue of Christian liberty does apply to us as we face new issues that Paul probably never dreamed of. Is it right for a Christian to attend an R-rated movie? Some years ago, the question was, is it right for a Christian to attend a movie Period. Should a believer have a television set in their home? Is it all right for a Christian to go to a casino restaurant for a meal? Now notice I didn't say go to a casino to gamble. Because I think you know where I stand on that one. Is it right for a Christian to smoke or drink? Is it right to listen to rock music, Christian or otherwise? As a Christian, can I attend parties where alcohol is being served as long as I don't drink? Questions like these and a host of others that deal with issues that are not not dealt with in black and white in Scripture. These are those issues that we cannot find where it says, Thou shalt not. These are the gray areas in which judgment is needed. But if we take the time to understand the situation in Corinth and Paul's guidelines to the Corinthians, we learn principles that will help us in a wide variety of situations with the gray areas in the Christian life. So, four principles for consideration tonight. First of all, we should consider our own attitude. Verse 1 through 3, it says, Now concerning things... Offered to idols, we know we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. It begins with now concerning. Paul, again, indicating that he is responding to a question that has been raised by the Corinthians themselves. Now, Corinth was a pagan city with many different places where you could worship various idols. Sacrifices were made to these so-called gods. The meat offered as a sacrifice was typically divided into three portions. One portion was burnt in a, a... worship of the God. One portion was given to the person who had brought the offering, and one portion was given to the priest. Since the priest had much more meat than they could eat, this meat was sold on the market. Now, for the Christian, they wanted to know, can we attend non-religious festivals where this meat is being served. Think about going to a fundraising dinner at a Mormon church. 
Is it okay to eat such meat if it's served to us by a non-believing neighbor? Can we buy this meat in the meat market? It was a lot cheaper and a lot better meat. It appears that the people of the church in Corinth disagreed on the answers to those questions. Some of the believers saw this as an opportunity to get a great cut of meat for a lot less money, a very practical and logical approach. They felt, their feeling was, who cares if it was offered to an idol? Idols are nothing more than a dumb piece of wood or stone, not really a god. But there were others who were offended by this, and they felt to eat meat that had been offered to idols was in fact like taking part in idolatry. They believed that idols contaminated the food. And so the problem for them was not really a dietary issue, but a moral issue. I think what is instructive to us is how Paul addresses this debate. Both knowledge and love have an effect on our lives. Both of them make something grow. The difference between puffs up and edifies is striking. It is the difference between a bubble and a building. Some Christians grow, others just swell. He says knowledge puffs up. To be puffed up is to believe, hey, I have it all figured out. I know all the answers to all the questions. Just ask me. I I am not like those legalistic Christians who are so hung up. Actually, what that does is reveals an arrogant spirit. And if that is our attitude, we have to be very, very careful. Secondly, he says, consider not only your own attitude, but consider your brother's knowledge. He begins in verses 4 and 5, and I don't think you have these subpoints in your outline. First of all, an idol is nothing, verses 4 and 5. <clears throat> Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or earth, as there are many gods and many lords. He's saying if this meat is offered to Zeus or Aphrodite or whatever god, some other idol, there is no real Zeus. There is no real Aphrodite. If idols are really nothing, then it follows that it must mean there's nothing to the fact of eating the meat that has been sacrificed to these idols. It means nothing. And it must mean nothing to eat in the buildings used to worship these idols, which are nothing. An idol is merely an object of stone, wood, or precious metal, but there is no God behind it. The psalmist warned of the futility of idol worship when he wrote in Psalm 115, verses 4 through 7, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. 
They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk, nor do they mutter through their throat. He says they, are, they can do nothing. But, but be forewarned, that does not mean that idols are morally neutral. All idols are merely the reflection of the one who made it, designed it, or the impersonation of the demon who deceives through it. Later in this letter, and we'll address it far more detail at that point, but in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 20, the Apostle Paul wrote, The things which the Gentiles sacrifice... They sacrifice to demons and not to God, and I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. The idols themselves are inanimate objects that have no life. However, those who sacrifice to idols sacrifice to demons. There is no God behind the idol, but there is always a spiritual force. And that force is always evil, it is always demonic. Secondly, there is only one God in verse 6. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom all are all things, and we for him and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. This statement is based on... Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5, it's called the Shema. All faithful Jews, Orthodox Jews, recite that passage of Scripture twice a day. It is, here are those words, and they are very important. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This was so important that Jesus himself called this the first and greatest commandment in Mark chapter 12. And then the third thing is not everyone <clears throat> understands, verses 7 and 8. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge for some with conscience of the idol until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. There is another consideration. Not everyone in Corinth understood what some of these believers understood. What knowledge they had had not rid them of the consciousness the meat sacrificed to an idol was somehow still connected to that idol. The brother or sister with a weak conscience who ate that which had been sacrificed to an idol was haunted with a sense of sin and thus lived with guilt. Now, why is the brother who will not eat the meat sacrificed to an idol considered weak. Many Christians would consider one like that to be the stronger Christian. 
But Paul is not speaking about weak or strong in regard to self-control, but in regard to knowledge. Paul says the person who is bound up in rules and regulations is not the mature believer, but the immature believer, not the strong brother, but the weak brother or sister. Those given over to legalism, a legalistic set of do's and don'ts are not the stronger brother or sister, but the weaker brother and sister. The one whose conscience is defiled because of your liberty is weak, and the one who is offended by your liberty is weaker. Now he says, food does not commend us to God. Eating or not eating this food has no spiritual significance whatsoever. You aren't more spiritual if you know that idols are nothing and that the meat is just meat, and you are not less spiritual if you don't know that and don't act by that. There is one conflict that is apparent, maybe it's apparent only to me, in Acts chapter 15, verse 29, the Jerusalem council had sent a letter commanding some churches, among other things, to abstain from things offered to idols. So does Paul's discussion of this issue here contradict what the Jerusalem council had decided in Acts chapter 15? And the answer is no. Instead, it shows us that the council's decision was not intended to be the normative for all the church for all time. It was, in fact, a temporary expediency meant to advance the cause of the gospel among the Jews. He says, No one is less spiritual for abstaining from meat sacrificed to idols. And this is the very point where some stumble in issues relevant to Christian liberty today, such as movies, drinking of wine, music, television, all of those, assuming that one stance or the other is evidence of greater or lesser spirituality. Third, consider your brother's conscience. Verse 9, but beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you and has knowledge eating an idle temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? <clears throat> and because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. Paul makes the principle of liberty very clear. Our actions can never be based just on what we know to be right for ourselves. We need to consider what is right for our brothers and sisters in Jesus. It is relatively easy for a Christian to justify their actions by saying, I answer to God and God alone and to ignore their brother or sister. It is true that we will answer to God and God alone, but we will also answer to God for how we treated our brother or our sister. 
Some might say, but what about back in Galatians chapter 2 when Paul rebuked Peter who had, because of his concern for the approval of the Jewish legalists, made the Gentiles think that they had to observe Jewish customs and law to be right with God. Even if the Jewish legalist would have said to the Gentiles, your lack of obedience to our customs causes us to stumble. You must do what we want. Paul would have said, you are not stumbled because you aren't being tempted to sin through their actions. Your legalism is being offended. Out of love, I will never act in a way that will tempt you to sin, but I don't care at all about offending your legalism. The word perish here does not mean that the weaker brother could lose his salvation. The point here is that the weaker brother patterns his conduct in this gray area based on the stronger brother's conduct. As a result, he does something that violates his conscience before God. He is laden down with guilt which affects his fellowship which can and will hinder his spiritual growth. Finally, the fourth consideration, consider the Lord's example. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. If I can wrap it up in a short term, it would be this. Love always trumps liberty. Love always trumps liberty. The attitude of a mature believer should be that I will sacrifice my liberty, my freedom to do something, if it means helping a brother or sister in the Lord. Let me just spend a few minutes making an application then. As we pause and apply this to the sum of the deep issues today, here is probably where I step off into the deep water. <clears throat> Drinking of wine is not forbidden in the Bible. Drunkenness is forbidden in the Bible. I am not okaying drinking. Some tell me that I'm death on drinking. I don't see any good thing coming out of it. But for some people, one drink leads to many drinks, which leads to violence, which leads to inappropriate or destructive behavior, and thus would be one thing that we would avoid. Generations past, card playing was something you just didn't do, even old maid. Card playing is just a game for most people, but for some people it's a slippery slope into the life of gambling. I take that same stance with a lottery or any of the other gambling techniques. Dancing is just exercise to many. Not much different than going for a walk. For others, it is something that provokes Lust and inappropriate contact with someone of the opposite sex. 
music. Music is just different sounds combined to make a melody which is used to express a thought, an idea, or a feeling. We may find different kinds of music more personally pleasing than others. But that's just really a matter of personal taste. I have found that some particular songs have the power to transport me back in time to when I first heard them. In like fashion, some people, certain kinds of music transport them back to a life that led them away from God and created great heartache. To these people, certain kinds of music can cause them to stumble. Using multimedia in worship to most people is simply a communication tool for conveying truth. It is in itself neither good nor bad. For others, multimedia in worship is seen as a compromise with worldliness. It, is, it doesn't enhance worship. They feel it actually hinders it. <clears throat> Debbie and I had the opportunity to be in a worship service a few weeks ago in Branson, Missouri. The church there had a very contemporary service, at least musically. They not only had the praise band, but they had the theatrical lighting. Red and blue lights lit up the stage. <clears throat> but my favorite part was the smoke. I don't know what part the smoke played other than it made it very difficult to see the musicians on the stage. Was it wrong? No. But for me, it was a distraction. These are difficult issues. And only a small list of some of the issues that serve as today's counterpart to the debate about meat sacrificed to idols. It is not likely that you will ever have to worry about the rights and wrongs of eating meat that's sacrificed to an idol. But there are certain issues that are related to our culture. Paul's counsel to the church at Corinth will not solved directly, it won't directly speak to all the issues that we may face, but will provide us with principles that will move us in the right direction. First and foremost for us is that we must always follow the Word of God. If the Word of God says this is wrong, then it really doesn't matter how much I debate it, it's still wrong. There are issues to which the Word of God speaks directly, but there are other issues to which the Word of God does not directly speak. But if the Bible gives us clear guidelines, we are to do what the Bible tells us to do. Secondly, we should listen to our conscience. No matter what anyone else says, we should not do those things that violate our conscience. That's the difference about convictions. You see, God can bring convictions in your life and in my life. I'll just <clears throat> use this as an example. We homeschooled Nikki for most of her schooling. But homeschooling for us was a conviction. So you never, if you've been here 30 years, you never heard me come to the pulpit and tell you 
that homeschooling is the only right way to educate your child. It was a conviction. The convictions that God has laid on my heart do not necessarily apply to you. The principles of God's word apply to you, but the convictions that he has laid upon me may not apply to you. We have to live by our own convictions. We might have 100 people here tonight, and if we have 100 people here, we might have 100 different sets of convictions that God has laid on our hearts and lives. And if we violate those by doing something that so-and-so said was okay, but we still feel in our heart is wrong, then we have sinned. And third, we are to be considerate of the conscience of others. I should always be willing to sacrifice my freedom, sacrifice my liberty to keep a brother or sister from stumbling. Let's pray. Father, I truly pray that this will be received in the spirit in which it's intended. And that is to help us look at our lives and apply the principles of your word in our lives. Not trying to get somebody to change their convictions because you've given those, those convictions to them in their lives and they need to live by them. But to help them to realize that not everyone has the same set of convictions. And that does not mean that they are less spiritual than we are. Father, help us always to be more in tune with living our lives in such a fashion that we don't cause anyone to stumble. Being conscious that other people do watch our lives and they do watch our actions and they do make up their mind about what's right and wrong by what they see us do. And so help us to be careful, careful with our lives, careful with our testimonies. Testimonies for, before young believers and before those who have not yet had their convictions formed in their lives. Help us, Lord, to always live our lives, our liberty, by first recognizing the importance of love. Father, we just pray, Lord, that you'd work in our service and in our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you stand with me? Brother Dan's going to.